the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. We're going to take a look at some of the headline news, but then we will take a look at the lighter side of the news. So hope you'll stick around for that. We're also going to give away our final two family four packs of Gospel Sing Live tickets. And just uh, so you'll know, that's uh, coming up on the 16th of this month, and that's at Salem Waterfront Park. Uh, We're talking about the Booth Brothers Tribute Quartet, Wes Hampton of uh, Gaither Vocal Band. You can enjoy listening on the lawn. You can uh, bring a blanket or a chair, or you can choose reserved seating with chairs provided. Go to kpdq.com for more information. You can also call 503-652-8158. That's 503-652-8158 to purchase your tickets for that event. 7 o'clock p.m. Riverfront Park in Salem on Friday, August the 16th. I'll be there. Clark will be there. James will be there as well. Taking a look at some of the day's news, the United States is formally withdrawing from the historic Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, the INF Treaty, that President Reagan and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev signed more than 30 years ago, sparking fears of a new arms race. The U.S. blames Russia for the demise of the INF Treaty, senior administration officials say, arguing that Moscow has been violating the terms of that agreement for years. Moscow, the U.S. argues, has been developing weapons that threaten America and its allies in Europe. Without the constraints of the treaty, the Trump administration says it can now counter Russia and China, which wasn't a signatory of the INF, but was developing similar weapons that uh, would have violated it, too. The U.S. withdrawal from the INF comes as South Korea's military and presidential office reported that North Korea fired what appeared to be short-range ballistic missiles twice on Friday into the sea off its eastern coast. Its third round of weapons tests in just a week, just over a week, I should say. Former First Lady Michelle Obama is resisting calls for her to run for president, saying there's zero chance that she will seek the Oval Office. In a new interview published by Amtrak's magazine, The National, Obama sat down with 12-year-old journalist Hildy Lysiak to promote her Better Make Room campaign aimed at engaging college students. The kid reporter pressed Obama about seeking the highest office in the land. There are so many ways to improve this country and build a better world, and I keep uh, doing plenty of them from working with young people to helping families lead healthier lives, she said. But sitting behind the desk in the Oval Office will never be one of them. It's just not for me. End quote. Well, the interview appeared as liberal filmmaker Michael Moore urged the former first lady to run for president following Wednesday night's Democratic debate. Moore apparently has his doubts about the field of Democratic potential challengers to President Trump, led by frontrunner former Vice President Joe Biden. A Michelle Obama candidacy could arguably inspire Democrat voters who remain unimpressed with the current crop of 2020 candidates and perhaps save her husband's legacy after so many of those potential nominees attacked uh, former President Obama and his policies during Wednesday's debate. 
And the 22-year-old granddaughter of Robert F. Kennedy died yesterday at the fabled political family's compound in Hyannisport, Massachusetts. The family said in a statement, Ceres um, Ken- uh, Kennedy Hill was the daughter of Courtney Kennedy Hill, the fifth of 11 children born to the late New York senator and wife Ethel. The New York Times reported she attended Boston College, where she was a member of the class of 2020. The university confirmed to the Boston Globe, Boston 25 News, citing a law enforcement source reported that Hill died from a suspected drug overdose. And the Pentagon is preparing to withdraw thousands of troops from Afghanistan as part of a proposed peace deal with the Taliban, U.S. officials uh, said on Thursday. One official warned that withdrawal would be the subject of uh, to the completion of any agreement. So far, no such uh, deal has been finalized. The Trump administration has undertaken eight rounds of negotiations with the Taliban which controlled Afghanistan between 96 and 2001, led by envoy uh, Khalil Zad, the Afghan-born former U.S. ambassador to Kabul. Khalil Zad had hinted that a peace agreement could be reached in the next round of talks scheduled to be held in Gutter. U.S. stocks surrounded, uh, uh, rather surrendered big gains on Thursday, falling hard after the president tweeted that additional tariffs would be slapped on Chinese goods. The Dow Jones Industrial Average had been up 311 points before the tweet, meaning that within minutes of the tariff news, the blue chip index had plunged from a peak to a trough in more than uh, of more than 600 points. President Trump said he will impose 10 percent tariffs on the 1st of September on the remaining 300 billion dollars in Chinese imports he hasn't already taxed. China's foreign minister was disappointed in the president's decision, saying imposing tariffs is definitely not the right way to resolve trade frictions. Wang Yi told reporters in Bangkok on Friday, news of the additional tariffs followed the latest round of trade negotiations between the U.S. and China. The next meeting is scheduled in next September. A total of uh, 218,400 people who either illegally entered the country or showed up without proper documentation at a port of entry along the southwest border were let go from Immigration and Customs Enforcement custody and set free in the U.S. between December of 2018 and July of this year, according to the Washington Examiner. All of those released were family units, which means each person arrived at the U.S.-Mexico border with a child or parent. Adults sometimes travel with children they are unrelated to and claim to be family. Speaking of which, the New American reports the Border Patrol has apprehended nearly 6,000 fake families at the southwest border and now devotes upwards of 60 percent of its manpower and high crossing areas on what amounts to babysitting. And the United States formally withdrew from a landmark nuclear missile pack, as we've mentioned on Friday. Negotiations uh, broke down. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said in a statement about the U.S. withdrawal, the United States will not remain party to a treaty that is deliberately violated by Russia. And the Senate on Thursday passed a two-year budget and debt ceiling deal, sending the bill to President Trump, who uh, indicated he will sign it if he hasn't already done so. The bill, which uh, passed 67 to 28 with bipartisan support, is projected to add approximately $1.7 trillion to the deficit over the next 10 years. It will lift the debt ceiling until 2021, set at $1.3 um, trillion limit on agencies' annual budgets for fiscal year 2020 and raise that limit in fiscal year 2021. It will also essentially end the automatic spending cuts put in place by the 2011 Budget Control Act. 
And the Justice Department has decided against prosecuting former FBI Director James Comey for leaking classified information following a referral uh, from the department's inspector general. Sources familiar with the deliberations have confirmed Comey penned memos mem- mem- uh, memorializing his interactions with the president in the days leading up to his firing. He then passed those documents to a friend, Columbia University professor Daniel Richmond, who gave them to the New York Times. Comey admitted to that arrangement during congressional testimony. And Baltimore police are investigating after the home of Representative Elijah Cummings was broken into early Saturday morning. This was several hours before the president tweeted criticizing Cummings and his district, including Baltimore. And a redesign of the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation website will make it harder for voters to inspect Senator Kamala Harris's controversial record as the state's top cop. The department removed public access to a number of reports on incarceration in the state, including when presidential candidate Kamala Harris was California's attorney general. And a panel of federal judges dismissed complaints against Justice Brett Kavanaugh Thursday, saying the process for deciding on misconduct allegations against a Supreme Court justice is outside its reach. The complaints stemmed from Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation battle last year when he was accused of sexual misconduct and angrily denied the allegations and denounced some of those who made them. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back shortly. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 20 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Joining me in the very next segment, James Blinn will be with me in studio for the lighter side of the news. We want to give away our first four-pack <clears throat> four of tickets to Gospel Sing. <coughs> Excuse me, I get all choked up when I think about the event. Gospel Sing. I think I'm going to have to drink a little water. Okay, I think we're good. Anyway, family four-pack of tickets to Gospel Sing Live. That's coming up on Friday, August 16th, 7 o'clock p.m., Riverfront Park in Salem. By the way, Fish Fest is the very next day. You might want to make a weekend of it. We want to give away four tickets to caller number two. That's 800-845-2162. 800-845-2162. Again, that's coming up on Friday the 16th of August, 7 o'clock p.m. at Riverfront Park in Salem. Caller number 2-800-845-2162. We're winding our way through some of uh, the day's headlines. And then uh, in our next segment, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news for the remainder of the program. Well, the births of white babies outnumber those of minorities by a hair, according to new U.S. Census Bureau data that also showed that the most common age for whites is 58 versus 11 for Hispanics. The latest census data covering up to 2013 showed that there were 2,943 more white babies born than minorities out of a total of 3,942,000. Census had expected minorities to overtake white births, but the data shows that it isn't happening as fast as expected, according to a Pew Research Center. I'm not sure why this information is relevant if we're talking about U.S. citizens, but nonetheless, they do divide us up according to race. The United States, or rather the University of Florida, agreed to pay their Young Americans for Freedom student chapter $66,000 and amend their school policy to allow conservative groups to have access to more financial resources. In December of last year, the university student YAF chapter filed a lawsuit against the school for allegedly violating student First and 14th Amendment rights. They succeeded. 
On this day in history, 1921, a jury in Chicago acquits several uh, former members of the Chicago White Sox baseball team and two others for conspiring to defraud the public in the notorious Black Sox scandal linked to the 1919 World Series. And no, that was not around at the time. On this day, way back in 1876, Wild Bill Hickok was shot and killed while playing a poker game at a saloon in Deadwood, Dakota Territory by Jack McCall. McCall would be hanged for that shooting. For those of you who are into Western lore, I thought I'd mention it. On this day in 1923, Warren G. Harding, the 29th president of the United States, dies while in office of a heart attack in San Francisco. Vice President Calvin Coolidge becomes president. And on this day in history, 1939, President Roosevelt signs the Hatch Act, which prohibits civil service employees from taking an active part in political campaigns. The Hatch Act has uh, been uh, much discussed of late as a member of the uh, Trump cabinet has been accused of violating said act. And on this date in history, 2018, Pope Francis changes Catholic Roman Catholic Church teaching on capital punishment, decreeing that the death penalty is uh, inadmissible under all circumstances. Oh, and one other thing on this date in 2018, Apple became the world's first publicly traded company to be valued at $1 trillion. That was just last year. Well, as I mentioned, the United States is withdrawing this week from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, a 31-year-old agreement with Russia. The decision to withdraw is uh, a good move given uh, Russia's unwillingness to comply with it. Russia has failed to comply with the treaty in recent years, allowing them an advantage over the United States, which has continued to abide by the treaty. At this point, the treaty is only limiting U.S. capabilities. On the 2nd of February of this year, the president announced the United States would withdraw from the treaty in six months unless Russia verifiably destroyed its non-treaty compliant missile system. They had failed to do so by the deadline of Friday, August the 2nd. Well, this comes after the U.S. has spent five years trying to persuade Russia to come back into treaty compliance. The U.S. has known since at least 2014 that Russia had developed and subsequently deployed at least three battalions of the Novatar 9M729, a ground-launched cruise missile. The treaty, signed in 1987 by President Ronald Reagan and Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev, prohibits such missiles with ranges between 500 and 5,500 kilometers. NATO has completely supported the U.S. position, releasing a statement saying, and I quote, unless Russia honors its INF um, treaty obligations through the verifiable destruction of all its ground-launched 9M729 missiles, a cruise missile systems, thereby returning to full and verifiable compliance before the U.S. withdrawal takes effect in six months. Russia will bear sole responsibility for the end of the treaty, end quote. Russia has long denied these accusations and instead accuses the United States of trying to start a new arms race. In that regard, uh, the director of the Center for National Defense has said continued efforts by the U.S. government over the last five years to engage Russia to persuade them to return to compliance with the INF have failed. All U.S. inquiries and efforts have been met with lies, deceit and denial. Hence, the United States has pulled out of the INF treaty. Today was that deadline. And President Trump announced Friday that Representative John Ratcliffe, Republican out of Texas, is withdrawing as a nominee for director of national intelligence, citing his tough treatment at the hands of the lamestream media, end quote. In a tweet, the president said that Ratcliffe, whom he tapped to replace Dan Coats, uh, will stay in Congress. 
Our great Republican Congressman John Radcliffe is being treated very unfairly by the lamestream media. Rather than going through months of slander and libel, I explained to John how miserable it would be for him and his family to deal with these people. He wrote, John has therefore decided to stay in Congress where he has done such an outstanding job representing the people of Texas and our country, end quote. He added that he will be announcing his new nominee uh, to replace Coates shortly. Radcliffe, a former federal prosecutor who had been a fierce defender of Trump and his agenda, was one of the most vocal critics of former special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russia's interference in the 2016 election. And a federal judge has blocked New York State from turning over President Donald Trump's tax returns to Congress. The order from U.S. District Judge Carl Nichols, a Trump appointee, came Thursday in agreement to a proposal from the state that would allow uh, allow it to challenge Nichols' jurisdiction over the issue. The order will block any House Ways and Means Committee requests for Trump's tax returns via the New York law until the jurisdictional dispute is resolved. The Trump administration filed a lawsuit on the 23rd of last month, arguing New York violated the president's constitutional rights when it passed the legislation earlier this month. Uh, to give the Democrat-controlled Ways and Means Committee access to the president's state tax returns, according to Reuters. Nichols said during a court hearing on Wednesday in Washington that Mr. Trump cannot suffer any harm until the issue is resolved, the Washington Examiner reported. I continue to expect that while I have this under advisement action, uh, it won't be able to... uh, uh, won't be taken as moot at this point, the judge said. Well, the New York attorney, Andrew Amer... He told the judge Wednesday that his clients think the D.C. court does not have authority over the case and he would try to move it elsewhere to have uh, either have it dismissed entirely or reversed. The order to block New York from turning over the president's tax returns is an alternative way around a different proposal from uh, Trump that would require the Ways and Means Committee, a defendant in the lawsuit by the Trump administration, to notify the court when making a request for the records. Another hearing will be scheduled on the 29th of this month in Washington to decide whether Nichols has jurisdiction over the New York officials named as defendants in the president's lawsuit. The judge uh, judge's order came two days after California Governor Gavin Newsom, the Democrat, signed into law a measure to require Trump to submit at least five years of his tax returns to qualify for California's primary ballot. There's no question that that will be challenged at some point. And the Washington Post magazine was ridiculed for publishing an online story Tuesday that ties President Trump to Russia because he enjoys hamburgers, which were sometimes served in the Soviet Union nearly a century ago. It's also served at Burger King and McDonald's and Burgerville. A press secretary, Sean Spicer, famously joked in 2017 that the media would find a Russian connection if Trump put Russian dressing on his salad. Two years later, the Post took Spicer's theory a step further with an article headlined, Even One of Trump's Favorite Foods Has a Hidden Russian Connection. The piece written by journalist and cookbook author Deanna Pritchip claims that hamburgers were once embraced by the hammer and sickle because they were served in the Soviet Union. The article has been slammed on social media and many readers initially thought it was a joke. At first, you... uh, Uh, Read this thinking it's satire, then sadly it hits you that the Washington Post has gone full-on tinfoil hat conspiracy theory garbage. Political satirist Tim Young, an actual satirist, uh, wrote, There's a reason that President Trump chose to serve hamburgers twice as an all-American feast for some all-American championship college football players, Pritchett wrote. But peel back the oil-spattered pages of history. 
And you'll find that the sandwich so closely aligned with the stars and stripes was once also embraced by the hammer and sickle. I don't know why Mueller did not look into this. Pritchett then noted that like so much about this current administration, even Trump's beloved hamburgers have surprising ties to Russia. Uh, Given this theory, I find that I'm somehow connected to um, Trump and the Russian attempt to influence the election. I had a hamburger yesterday. I admit it publicly. I fully expect there will be a full investigation. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in just a few moments and joined by James Blind. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Welcome, James, to, uh, to the program. I am, you know, I can't believe you made me come back from my car for this. <laughs> you were trying to escape. I was. I was trying to go down the back stairs and everything, but, you know. Well, I appreciate your coming back. There's a new survey that indicates that most people don't like to talk to others in the elevator. I'm curious your stand on this, but if you think riding in an elevator with random people can be awkward, you're not alone. There's a new study. They actually took the time to study this uh, that found 66% of people don't want to talk while in an elevator. A quarter of them said they don't talk because they just don't like speaking to people they don't know, according to the study by German company Krupp Elevator was released this last week. About one in five also said they would actively avoid getting into an elevator if someone they didn't like was in it. It's pretty close quarters. A whopping seven billion elevator rides happen every day, the company survey said, adding that people were missing an opportunity to connect. I'm not sure an elevator ride is a place to connect. It's a very short uh, ride, and people are getting off and on randomly. To help people break the silence, Krupp. Uh, they've dubbed July 26th Talk in an Elevator Day. Ah, we missed it. Oh, well. They released a series of elevator conversation starters to help oh, wow. along the way as well. The company suggests keeping it simple on the first floor, asking your fellow riders how their day is going. But feel free to get to know each other on the seventh floor by asking, have you ever kissed in an elevator? By what floor that is? <laughs> I mean, have, are they living in the, I mean, this is Germany, but this is the Me Too movement. You don't want to ask anybody. If they've kissed anywhere. No, that's so easily taken the wrong way, I would think. Yeah, it's just, it's, it sounds like an invitation. So it just. Exactly. Yeah, not good advice. You might want to come up with your own questions, but I'm not sure we really need a tutorial on whether or not we should speak to people in the elevator and if so, what we should say. I think we might be able to handle that. Maybe, maybe, but uh, I, I'm. I'll be honest, uh, you know, here, here at the office, because we only have four floors, so we don't have to worry about that conversation coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I, I will admit I'm, I, I tend to, uh, um, if I see people gathered around the elevator to go up from the first floor, I tend to uh, walk around a little longer until they've cleared. I, I do prefer um, non-strangered elevators, but I'm an introvert, so that's, that's to be expected. One thing I thought was interesting, though, I read a study at a while ago that uh, talks about how just by human nature, we, we almost universally take the same formation in an elevator. And I think that's part of this ties into it because it's kind of an avoidance technique. Uh, you mean where you, you retreat to one of the corners. Yeah, all four corners fill first mm-hmm. and then the middle so that if there's five people in the elevator, it looks like uh, the five on a, on a die. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've since reading that a couple months ago, I, I've kind of observed that a bit and... 
Boy, it really is. Well, you know, I think that's definitely case. a cultural thing. We have a very strong sense of personal space. I've been in country where, uh, countries where that is not the case, and I mean, they are all up in your Kool Aid. It doesn't matter if you're moving or standing still, and it's very uncomfortable because I'm a Westerner. It's very uncomfortable to have people pressing in so closely. So I think that's that's unique to us in the United States. Maybe some other European style countries, but boy, that's not true everywhere. But I tell you, it's funny. We were in uh, Los Angeles recently and uh, stayed the night at a, a hotel by the airport. And every time we get on the elevator, it was packed and I couldn't stand it, but not for the introverted reason necessarily. Um, it was more the fact that, you know, when you have 15 people on an elevator, you're making 15 stops. Or two uh, stops. With- yeah. I mean, here it's only, you know, two stops potentially in between, but... Uh, even even when we leave, our, our there's two different exits to our buildings on two different floors. So, uh, you know, if you want the direct flight uh, guaranteed, you need to go down on your own. Well, I just get in the elevator, say hello, and that's about it for me. I stare at the floor. Do you really? I usually speak to whoever's in the elevator. I'm not rude. Uh, no, I'll acknowledge the other person, usually with a nod or a smile or, or something to that effect. But, uh, um, I'm, you know. I'm a shy boy. Yeah. And, and it helps, too, that we're in an, a relatively small office space. I mean, there are dozens of offices here, but, you know, it's the same people circulating pretty yes. much. Yes. And a lot of them visitors, have been around here for a long time, yeah, too, so, so that you do have some familiarity. Yeah. The people down the hall, I see them on the elevators all the time. And, you, you you know, you do build up that familiarity that you see them two, three times a week on the elevator. So it makes it a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the goats uh, might be gone now, but the laughs sure haven't faded after a huge herd of goats went storming through a neighborhood in the Issaquah Highlands. Neighbors found humor in the uh, goat getaway in Issaquah. I'm not sure the uh, residents found it quite so humorous, but you might have seen videos of that stampede. They, uh, they spread rapidly online ever since the goats made their way Tuesday night. Uh, says one seven-year-old, my mom thought it was a baby crying, but it sounds too loud to be a kid so to speak. And then it turned out to be, well, a kid. Different kinds of kids, uh, says the mom, speaking on Como News. And then we hear our neighbor's kids uh, who were like, goat alert, goat alert, and that's how the whole thing started. Well, a huge herd of goats were roaming free past uh, a home. They'd stop for food in just about every yard, and um, that's kind of how they made their way from one point to another, says Uh, one of the uh, kids who was playing outside with a friend at the time, I started running toward my house and saw their horns and they were just a little big. The goats were brought in several weeks ago to clear vegetation around the neighborhood, said a spokesperson for the Issaquah Highland Community Association. They're brought in every year. Somehow they got out of their enclosure up the street and well, they just did what goats do. They started to roam. It's not just a lost group of four or five. It's an entire herd uh, that had broken free. It was unique. Um, obviously, you don't see goats going down the middle of a street uh, that often. And of course, uh, all that they want to do is, well, find some place to rest and to eat. And what comes from eating is, well, the rest of it. It took more than an hour for neighborhood uh residents to round up the goats and clean up what they left behind. But it was all something to... Uh, share in common. It was kind of like being in an elevator together for a period of time until the goats <laughs> moved on. I uh, spoke to a, a friend of mine who is a goat farmer in Florida, and uh, she and her family have a, a goat farm there. And I, I, I shared the video, and uh, apparently they have a saying, I don't know if it's a, amongst goat farmers or if it's uh, just this particular goat farm, that uh, 
when they're running like that, they're looking to turn the hydringas into lodringas. <laughs> yeah, and it's dranger. I'll just just say it. Do do I look like an outdoor pet? No, I know that you are not. So okay. Anyway, well, men in Florida are the most likely to be bitten by alligators. That's according to a new study. Really, somebody studied this. Somebody paid to have it studied, and then they published. Well, the study, which was published in the Journal of Wildlife Management, examined alligator bite reports dating back to 1971 and found that adult men who are not tourists were the most attacked. Adult men topped the list because they were more likely to get too close to the reptiles or to enter bodies of water where they lurk. Now, that says more about men than it does about alligators. They're just opportunists. They'll eat whatever happens to be close at hand or snout. Major injuries to victims occurred in 247 bite incidents, the study said, according to the Times. The estimated annual number of bites resulting in major injury to the victim increased from 3.5 to 7.0 during 71 to 14, 1971 to 2014. 22 of those bites were fatal. An alligator swims in the Everglades and lots of other bodies of water. Uh, Males were more frequently bitten than females and by and large, um, by a large margin, 81.4% to 18.5%, according to the Tampa Bay Times. Of course, the best way to avoid being bitten is to simply stay out of the water. Who knew? Such wisdom. Gators enjoy canals, uh, retention ponds, and other small bodies of water. If you're in the water and you see one, get out. Yet another reason in life to just stay inside. Yeah. One state biologist said they will surge up out of the water to the full length of their body, which I'm sure is terrifying to watch if you're anywhere near them. About 90% of all alligator bites in the United States happen in Florida, so we don't have much to worry about here in the Pacific Northwest. That's, that's probably good. I am relieved. I don't know about you. I mean, I've, I've seen gators recently, but not, not anywhere near here. There was an image that made its way on the Internet this week that was really quite um, terrifying if you happen to be a fox. But I also thought this is uh, I'm going to add this to the list of reasons why I'm, I've chosen not to lose weight at this time because mm-hmm. I have a fear that an eagle might swoop down and carry me off. You know, there was a, uh, the, the, um, yeah, the, a couple of years ago, there was a song you couldn't avoid anywhere. I, I, I'd hear it in stores and whatnot uh, along the lines. I believe it was called What Does the Fox Say? And I, I think the answer to that is, let me down, let me down. Well, that may well be what this fox had to say. We'll tell you more about it when we come back. But a bald eagle fought a fox in an incredible midair tussle that happened to be caught by a photographer. We'll tell you more about that when we come back and much more on this fun Friday program. By the way, in the next hour, we're going to give away our final four pack of tickets to the Gospel Sing Live. So listen up for your opportunity to win. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 50 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend in studio. Well, as I mentioned before the break, a photographer captured a truly remarkable mid-air tussle between a bald eagle and a red fox fighting over a rabbit. Uh, The photo was taken um, and received an award, a professional honorable mention in the 2019 Audubon Photography Awards. Well, the picture was taken in San Juan Island National Historic Park on Friday in Harbor, Washington. And the photographer said, I had spent a day photographing foxes and was panning with this uh, kit running with its uh, prey. Uh, when an unmistakable cry made him look up. This is the photographer. I just knew the eagle racing our way was after the fox's rabbit. So they're 
fighting over prey. The photo shows a bald eagle and a red fox fighting midair over the rabbit. And it's uh, pretty remarkable, you know, when you just happen to be at the right place at the right time and your shutter is focused in the in the right place. Said the photographer, I expected to have only a split second to capture the theft in one explosive frame. Instead, the eagle snagged the fox and rabbit, carrying both 20 feet off the ground. See, if you're too thin, this could happen at any time. See, this is a lose-lose for the fox, as I see it, because if I'm not mistaken, isn't uh, killing a bald eagle a federal crime? Well, except for the eagle has the upper hand. Uh, Well, clearly it's uh, flying. 20 feet in the air with the fox. After eight seconds, it dropped the fox, seemingly unharmed, and flew away with the stolen dinner. Uh, The photo has been uh, grabbing plenty of attention. The National Audubon Society's National Photography Director uh, said of the shot that it was... um, where everything coalesces into this perfect picture, and it certainly was that. Other eagle pictures have also gone viral in recent months. Earlier this year, a stunning photo of a bald eagle captured by an amateur photographer became an Internet sensation. Uh, the photographer, Steve Biro, he captured the remarkable picture of the Canadian Raptor Conservancy in Norfolk County, or Ontario. In the photo, the majestic bird reflection can be seen in a body of water, its wing-tipped feathers just touching the surface, um, as it looks intently ahead. So just a remarkable. Can you, can you imagine, though, the, the, the fox when it got home? Yeah, trying to explain that to trying his to wife explain, yeah, without ex- dinner. Yeah, where's dinner? Um, funny thing about that. <laughs> oh, really? And Yeah, and next thing you know, they're ordering pizza. And hoping that it comes intact without being tampered with. Robotic cockroach. And there's something wrong with those two words together. It does seem unnecessary. Unnecessary. Robotic cockroach survives being stepped on. First of all, do we need more cockroaches of any kind? We read a story just a couple of weeks ago that indicated cockroaches may not be, um, um, you may not be able to kill them in the very near future because they keep adapting. And so they're just going to take over the, uh, the planet and you can't do anything about it. And now we're creating robotic cockroaches well they say we've all tried to kill a cockroach only to watch it scurry away at a super fast pace so one of nature's creepiest insects as it turns out has inspired researchers to create a very tiny robot that could in theory burrow through natural disaster sites and uh, relay information to rescue workers okay maybe it serves a purpose the team of university of california berkeley uh, they've designed a robot that's made out of a material known as polyvinylidene fluoride, or PVDF. Let's put it that way. That sounds better. And is the size of a post a postage stamp. Scientists involved in the project explain that it could have many applications. For example, if an earthquake happens, it's very hard for the big machines or the big dogs to find life underneath debris. So that's why we need a small robot uh, completely uh, completing the work that is uh, requires agility and a robust um, stamina. The first author of the paper who completed the work uh, says this may in fact be the answer to that question. It's also almost as hardy as a real cockroach as the researchers repeatedly applied pressure to it by stepping on it. Again, in these applied Applications, I think it's just fine. I just want to see it scurrying across my floor. Most of the robots at this particular small scale are very fragile. If you step on them, you pretty much destroy the robot, says the senior author of the paper. We found that if we put weight on this robot, it still more or less functions. I I understand the comparison to a cockroach here, but 
I'm thinking from a marketing standpoint, from a branding standpoint, maybe not using the word cockroach involved, <laughs> exactly. maybe maybe avoiding any allusions to the bug that we want nothing to do with. Yeah, that's uh, taking it Because it sounds like it is a useful item. How about just calling it, even just calling it a bug? A search and rescue bug. Yes. A useful. A bug. There you go. Well, the New York Police Department's beekeepers, and yes, they have beekeepers in the New York Police Department, just two officers dedicated to rescuing the honeybees that swarm New York City neighborhoods, are among a devoted group of bee lovers across the nation working to save the incredibly important insects while the U.S. government seemingly tells them to buzz off. Darren Mays and Michael Loranio are first and foremost police officers, but when a swarm of bees is reported to 911, the bee whisperers, they fly into action. Uh, These calls can come pretty much 24 hours a day, says Loriano. He's assigned to the first precinct from the 104th precinct in Queens, where two hives, one with more than an estimated 40,000 bees, are located on the roof. The infamous swarms that appear in the city are most likely uh, from hives of amateur beekeepers who mismanaged their hives. The beekeeping duo said that they work together on different shifts to respond to swarms in public areas. Um, they respond to a, uh, responded rather to a recent swarm in Times Square and Tribeca that received uh, much media attention. It said uh, people are um, basically afraid of bees, and these swarms, of course, are pretty terrifying. You know, it's it's one of those things. Of course, my my I think on the show, my fear of bees is well documented over the years. Uh, but uh, you know, I think of all these you know various uh, cop movies, these buddy cop movies over the years that. Uh, you know, it's like uh, one of them screws up and inevitably they wind up on traffic duty as if that's the worst thing that could ever happen to them. Now, if I was a cop, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And, and let me say, I, I, I love our police officers. I love our first responders. But these beekeepers, they're, they're – uh, Above they, and beyond. Uh, above, yeah. That's, that's really – for me personally, whew, I could not do that. <laughs> well, honeybees pollinate roughly $15 billion in food crops in the U.S. every year. That's according to the USDA. They're responsible for one in every three bites of food we take, and their decline happening at an alarming rate is a signal of what may happen to the nation's crops. If bees are dead, then the price of the crop goes up way up because it's all supply and demand. So pretty important. If there are fewer beehives available for farmers to use and ultimately fewer pollinators, consumers will pay more money. I am not a fan food. of inflation, but for a few less bees, I'll pay more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, an Ohio uh, business owner's rapid downward spiral to near death began innocently enough with an affectionate lick on her arm from one of her two pet dogs. Enough said. Oh, this validates like 20 years of commentary from you right here. Wow. This Ohio woman with a dog lick infection had uh, had legs, parts of arms uh, amputated after spending days in a coma. Dog lick infection. Bad dog. Enough Bad said. dog. Uh, Maria Trainer's symptoms emerged shortly after, according to her local media. She felt nausea. Her temperature acted erratically. And after being taken to the hospital, her condition kept worsening. Sepsis set in. She developed gangrene. The hospital staff put uh, Trainer in an induced coma. She woke up 10 days later to find that her arm arms, plural, and legs, plural, had been partially amputated. When I opened my eyes, I didn't know where I was. It was very hard to find out that they had removed my arms and legs, very hard to cope with, but the amputations likely saved her life. I've never heard of dog lick infection, and I'm sure it's not widespread, but again, it confirms 
why I think it's a good idea to just stay away. A seven-year-old boy in India has been relieved of years-long swelling and pain in his jaw after doctors removed a growth that had been harboring over 500 teeth inside. Uh, The boy had been experiencing discomfort on the right side of his jaw since he was three. He was seven when all of these teeth were removed. Dental surgeons removed the growth, which was approximately four to five centimeters by three centimeters in size, and gave it to the histopathy department uh, for further investigation. Then finally, we uh, came to know that there were 526 teeth which were present in the entire sack. Footage of the team dissecting the growth, which was identified as a compound composite, odontoma, shows hundreds of teeth fragments ranging in size. Baby shark, do 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 baby shark. You would have thought they would have tried braces first. Dun-dun-dun. Well, well, you know. All right, we're going to take a break. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. Also in the second hour, we'll give away our fa- final family four-pack of Gospel Sing Live tickets. Phew! So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show on this fun Friday. James Blend is in studio. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program as well. Also, we're going to give away our final family four-pack of tickets to Gospel Sing Live. That's coming up. Two on weeks the from 16th today. Of, um, of August. It's a Friday night yep. along the uh, Salem waterfront. You've been all up in this. I it's have been. the 50th anniversary celebration of the Gospel Sing, the longest-running program on KPDQ. Yep. Pretty cool. Absolutely, and it's going to be a fun night. I'm, I'm really excited about it. It's, uh, you know, even if uh, it's one of those things, even if you go, oh, I'm not the world's biggest Southern Gospel fan. These are talented singers doing a really cool show, and I think uh, it's something that even if you think you may not be into it, it's something to give a chance. And what I think should happen is you should just plan on spending the weekend in Salem and stick around for um, Fish Fest. Fish Fest the following day. Absolutely. It's a great weekend. I know my wife's doing that. She, she wants to go to both shows. Does she have room in your room for that? Uh, we'll, we'll have to see about that. Okay. So just call James directly if you'd like to uh, share a room. As long as you have a sleeping bag. Yeah. Okay. And keep in mind, his four-year-old is going to be in there, too. And she's a, she, she does toss and turn. Okay. Um, passengers traveling with Spirit Airlines were uh, left screaming in terror after a bat threw, uh, flew through the cabin mid-flight. Bats are really kind of, they, they just go right for, they're like a moth. They're very aggressive and they just can go right for your hair. They, they don't, you don't have, have a personal bubble. They do not no, have a personal bubble. No, maybe they don't go for your hair. It's short. Um, but, you know, if you've got any length to your hair, that's a little bit of a scary thing to think that it would get tangled up in your hair. I, I just don't like things flying at me. I don't mind things flying around. I don't mind things going about their business. <laughs> but it is that personal bubble thing. If you're coming yeah. headed right at my personal bubble, uh, I, you know, I don't care if you're a, a fly, a bat, a bird, a drone, uh, a moth, a moth. Yeah, just 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 go the other way, and we'll, we'll be cool. The bat was spotted 30 minutes after the flight took off, according to one of the passengers. It was caught flying through the cabin mid-flight, 30 minutes in. Twitter user Peter um, Scaniti, he tweeted a video of the bat with the caption, there is, um, well, I won't even say quite what he said, but anyway, he was making the announcement that there was a bat on their flight. He joked, uh, me, twice a year, I'll never fly spirit again. 
Now, the interesting thing is on the very same flight, they had a passenger go missing. Uh, really? Vl- Vlad Dracula was his name, and he's not been seen since. <laughs> well, the uh, passenger went on to joke me this morning after deciding I'd rather save $12. Well, in the video, the bat flies down the middle of the cabin while a child screams in shock. That would have been me, the child screaming in shock. A woman at the end peered out uh, from the bathroom in fear. She wasn't coming out. A woman then says, um, uh, you know, kind of shrieks herself, uh, out of uh, sheer panic, uh, repeated by other passengers. Another passenger asked, it's not a bat, is it? While the young girl hides in the toilet and looks out in shock. Well, it, you can imagine where it went from there. You know, I, w- I will say, I, I understand the, you know, a lot of people have trouble with the, you know, don't, are not really into the the, the value airlines and whatnot. But I'm going to guess when a bat is choosing where to go, they're not looking at price of ticket. Probably not. So I think it's entirely possible that bat could decide to fly Delta instead. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Although there might be a little more care taken to make sure that you at least paid for a ticket. You know, you would hope so. Yeah, one would hope. Well, European manufacturer Airbus has developed a small uh, scale aircraft with flapping wingtips. It's a concept drawn from the flight of the albatross. Now, isn't the albatross a bird that you don't want to have anywhere near your boat? So I'm not sure yes. calling it the Albatross 1 is the best idea, especially if you're flying over water. But Airbus's newest addition, the Albatross 1, a model base of the A321, is constructed from carbon fiber and glass fiber reinforced polymers, has a semi-aerialastic um, hinged wing tip or tips in this case, the freely flapping wingtips react and uh, flew to wind gusts, reducing drag, combating the effects of turbulence. So it actually has a usefulness, aside from the fact that it mimics uh, the bird. The aircraft was inspired by the albatross. It's a seabird. It's able to stay in the air for hours in windy weather with little wing exertion. The concept of hinged wingtips is not new, says Airbus engineer Tom Wilson, in a statement saying military jets employ them in uh, to allow greater storage capacity on aircraft carriers. Um, however, Albatross 1 is the first aircraft to trial in-flight freely flapping wingtips, which account for up to a third of the length of the wing. So if you can picture that, a third of the wing is flapping. Um, for now, the Albatross 1 is still being tested after a 20-month development program. The first flight tests were concluded in February, according to Airbus. The airplane manufacturer is going to continue to conduct more test flights that combine the two flight modes, examining the transition of the wingtips unlock during the flight. So they're stationary, and then you unlock them and they flap. Uh, The Albatross 1 is the latest Airbus uh, design to be inspired by birds. Um, In July, they unveiled the Bird of Prey. I'd rather, I think, fly on the Bird of Prey than the albatross but it's a concept aircraft it's inspired by the natural features of eagles hawks and other aerial predators now hopefully they don't swoop downward you know like these uh, birds of prey but airbus has also turned to other parts of the natural world for um, aircraft design solutions for the past two years the manufacturer has been fitting certain jetliners with small riblet patches uh, textured surfaces applied to the fiberglass and wings that mimic the effect of shark skin in an attempt to reduce drag during high-speed cruise flight. So who knows? We may find uh, airplanes with feathers at some point in the future. Uh, I was, I was, I'm looking forward to the beak. The beak. That the would beak. be... Uh, I, th- I think the beak would be cool. That would be good. And it might actually prevent other birds from flying 
haplessly into planes as they're taking off because they would be frightened. I want to stay away from that big bird. Exactly. So this may have. Oh, hey, there's an idea. A plane that looks like Big Bird. There you go. Now that would be cool. Yellow feathers and all. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, if you plan to on attending the fireworks show that was scheduled to uh, follow Saturday night's um, MLS match between Colorado Rapids and Montreal Impact in Common City or Commerce City, um, Colorado, um, you might want to take well a little thought. Uh, according to the headline, the MLS team is canceling their fireworks display because of well plague infested fleas and prairie dog colonies that are apparently somewhere around that area. Now, you brought this story to my attention. What on earth? Apparently, yeah. The the, the And apparently, they, with their parking situation, it sounds like at this particular stadium, they've got parking lo- a parking lot and then some dirt parking, and mm-hmm. they're not allowing you to park in the dirt, uh, nor are they doing their fireworks because of plague. <laughs> now, there's no specificity to this plague. It's not, is this the bubonic plague? No, no word. No word. There's no specificity. Just random, vague plague. You know, I think the use of the word plague is probably sufficient to say I don't want to be anywhere near it. <laughs> if you know, if I were a soccer fan and if I were in Colorado and I had plans for a game tomorrow night, I would be trying to get every dollar I could on StubHub right now selling those things. Yeah, well, I don't want to be near a plague. According to the Rapids. Uh, Saturday's match will go on as scheduled after the team consulted with officials from Commerce City, a Denver suburb, and the Tri-County Health Department. However, it's been recommended that the post-game fireworks display be canceled due to the confirmed presence of plague-infested fleas affecting prairie dog colonies in the surrounding areas. Uh, The stadium is bordered to the north by the Rocky Mountain Arsenal National Wildlife Refuge, which is uh, home to 330 species of animals, including bison, black-footed ferrets, uh, deer, coyotes, bald eagles, and burrowing owls, according to the website, and apparently plague-infested prairie dogs. Yeah, that's just, I mean, that's that's tragic. I mean, I've seen something, you know, game is called because of, you know, rain, snow, sleet, and now plague. Yep. Now, the game will go on, but the plague soap apparently will as well. (laughs) We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon back in mere moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. And as promised, we are going to give away a family four-pack of tickets to Gospel Sing Live. Now, I say family four-pack. I mean, you can be biologically related to one another. You can be close friends. You can go to Bible study together. You can attend the same church. You might live on the same street. But when you come using these tickets, you are officially a family. We won't be checking ID for that, for the relationship. Absolutely. No. Um, the uh, Gospel Sing Live is coming up on Friday, August the 16th, 7 o'clock p.m. at Riverfront Park in Salem. You can come and hear some of your favorite Southern Gospel artists, or maybe you want to come and be introduced to what will become some of your favorite Southern Gospel artists. Uh, the Booth Brothers Tribute Quartet, Wes Hampton of uh, Gaither Vocal Band. And if you're, not, uh, if you're not familiar with them, you might want to listen to Gospel Sing, because this event is a celebration of 50 years of the longest running program on KPDQ, 50 years of gospel sing. So this event is coming up on the 16th, 7 o'clock p.m. That's a Friday at Riverfront Park. You can enjoy listening on the lawn with your blanket or chair. You can choose reserved seating with chairs provided. But bring your family, friends, and enjoy a great evening. Want to give this pair of tickets away to caller number four, 
caller number four and the number to call 800-845-2162, 800-845-2162, our final family four pack of tickets to Gospel Sing Live. Are you going to be there, James? I am absolutely going to be there. I know you're the concert guy, so I would imagine. Yeah, I'll, I'll be quite busy that day, but um, uh, I will, in fact, be there, as will you. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. And Clark. Clark as well, yes. Clark and I will both be there. This is a big weekend for all of our sister stations. We've got yes. the Fish Fest the following day, Reventone uh, on Sunday. So it's a big weekend for uh, Salem stations here in our our market. Yeah, I'll, I'll be taking several days off to recover after that. I, w- I always joke that my favorite day of the year is the day after Fish Fest because it means I'm the furthest away from the festivals than I'll be at any other point of the year. Well, it's a huge undertaking, and you have a major role to play in all of that as our kind of concert guy. So you're not just attending or showing up. And no, there's, a, there's some 18-hour days in there. Yeah. Anyway, all of that coming up the weekend of the 16th. Absolutely. Please make a note of it. Again, that number, 800-845-2162, caller number four. One of the things that I dislike the most is falling in love with a product, living with it for years, mm-hmm. calling it your favorite, whatever it happens to be, over the course of a lifetime, and then somebody somewhere, perhaps in another generation, decides it needs to be new and improved. They change the formula, and it is no longer what you have loved your entire life. You know, it, it's it's one of those things that um, you, you discover that at an early age. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the... The whole thing with, uh, you know, finding out there's no tooth fairy or something like that. Um, what? Exactly. Um, I, for me, it was, uh, you know, when I was 10 and this horrible thing came out called New Coke. Um, you perfect know, example. Perfect example. Um, you know, ever, ever since then, I've been highly skeptical. It's like, can I depend on this product? Will it always be there for me? Will it be the same? You know, and it co- keeps me up at night, quite honestly. <laughs> the thing with Coke is, though, there are so many different versions of it. You're, you're oh, there's five million Cokes now. Going to have the Coke of your, you know, your childhood, the one that you that you love the most. But there are some products in which there's only one, and when they change the formula, it's changed for good, and there's no going back to the original. Devastated. That's the word that many are using when the. Um, the bar that has been my favorite candy bar my entire life. When I was in high school, in fact, I broke because I um, broke my two front teeth when I was riding my bicycle with a purse, with a strap. The purse fell off my arm, got tangled in the um, the spokes of the bike, and I went flying over the handlebars on my face, which explains a lot. Broke my two front teeth. So I had to before so you know what were, you wanted for Christmas that year. <laughs> yeah, before I um, was able to have them uh, permanently uh, fixed, I had to wear these temporary uh, caps on those teeth. And um, my favorite drink in the cafeteria was this orange drink. And of course, these temporaries took on the color of orange. It's a long and sad story, but anyway, I happened to break one of them eating this very candy bar. It was worth it to me to break a tooth on this candy bar. Anyway. We're talking about customers, including myself, who are devastated and furious about Butterfingers' new recipe. They're Butterfingers. calling the improved taste terrible. Oh, it never is. And even disgusting. Those are the words that are being used. Well, Butterfingers changed, it's just singular, Butterfinger changed its recipe back in December. Now, I haven't had one since then, so I actually haven't tried the new one. But I don't want any adjustment at all. I loved it 
when I was a kid. I've loved it in my my young adult years. I would love it today if the formula were to same the same. But Butterfinger has changed the recipe back in December. The improved recipe in quotes. Uh, includes roasted peanuts and chocolatey coating and is set to have a richer peanut butter flavor uh, and aftertaste. No need for any of that. It was perfection in its original form. Now, many customers aren't happy about it, and they've been complaining on Instagram for months. Uh, Parent company Ferrero is sticking by the new recipe and say sales have improved. So what they're saying is they've made Butterfinger supposedly taste more like peanut butter? Is that what they're... Well, they're including peanuts right. and a chocolatey coating. I mean, it already had a coating. Right. Yeah, it did. So I, chocolatey. The question Not chocolate, is, chocolatey. Yeah, chocolatey. The question is, why? Hundreds of longtime Butterfinger fans are furious about the candy bar's new recipe and demanding that parent company Ferrero... Uh, bring the old version back. Butterfinger actually changed the recipe in December, slightly changing some of the ingredients and transforming the crunchy bar to have a smoother texture. Did we ask for a smoother texture? There That's one of the of, appeals of it, is the flakiness. Absolutely. But lately, customers have been flooding the brand's Instagram feed and seething complaints Oof. and passionate calls for the old recipe to make a comeback. But whether it's actually a better taste is up for debate, and many customers who have been loyal for years are saying it misses the mark. Daydreaming of the original recipe instead of uh, this, as one customer referred to it, <clears throat> vomit, uh, wrote one uh, uh, on the, an Instagram post recently. The improved recipe, Butterfinger, is a nightmare, wrote another. Devastated, you destroyed my favorite candy bar with a new recipe. No one asked for this so-called improvement, and now all my future Halloweens are ruined, wrote yet another particularly dramatic uh, commenter. Whenever a longstanding brand changes things, uh, you know it's always uh, out to cut corners and costs. Your new one has a disgusting aftertaste, and yes, um, uh, said yet another. I feel like, I mean, while I, I, I'm di- disdainful towards the idea of messing with this, I, I do feel like maybe ne- next Friday we need to bring one of these in and and, and give it a, a personal review. But, I'm uh, not sure I'm ready for that. I, this this could be so traumatic that I wouldn't be able to, to uh, finish the show. And that's a bad thing, how? I, <laughs> <laughs> I think if we do that, we need to have uh, paramedics standing by. And some uh, maybe a best of. Fit of rage might occur. Um, uh, deathly ill could be the uh, the result. Uh, here's another response. I had no idea the recipe changed. I looked several. I took several bites and thought my candy bar had gone bad. If that's even possible, it was absolutely disgusting. So disappointed that uh, my fave candy bar is no longer. Please bring the old recipe back. Now, maybe they did this in order to draw attention to how great this candy bar has always been, and this is just a way of... By poisoning their audience? (laughs) By just bringing it back, you know, creating a fur, a little buzz around the whole thing. The only thing this new Butterfinger needs is to be sold with a trash can so you can throw it where it belongs, in the trash. Yuck. You changed something that did not need to be changed. The new taste is horrible. And you want me to test this on the air next week? I think not. <laughs> well, maybe we should test it. Uh, we, we should. We should. We, we can always uh, drink it down with a can of new Coke, which <laughs> are apparently uh, floating out there again after a recent tie-in to a television show. Huh. Um, they, they've they re-released them in limited numbers because 
somehow that was thought to be necessary. Yeah, I don't know whose idea it was to change the Butterfinger. We'll we'll have to try that out. Well, we will. I just it's I'm devastated. I, I'm I'm not devastated because it was probably only my fourth or fifth favorite. But uh, you know, if they mess with the Kit Kat, then we got to talk. But um, well, Kit Kat has a similar texture. The chocolate on the outside—it's got that kind of crunch, and it oh, yeah. fall apart a little bit. It's that. It's like I, I don't, certainly don't want a smooth Kit Kat. No, it's just—it's something else. It's not a Kit Kat. Then it's something else. Butter what this is? I I couldn't tell you. Butter toe. Anyway, we're going to based on the taste descriptions. <laughs> we're going to take toe. a break while I try to you know pull myself together and realize that life as I have known it, low these many years, has now been changed forever. Horace Gump was right. Life is really like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back, well, eventually. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Friday edition of The Georgine Rice Show, brought to you in part, ladies and gentlemen, although they may deny it when pressed. Zero res. James Blend is with me in studio. Clark Hilton is engineering today's program. You know, it's quite common that politicians, they make promises and then they don't keep them. In fact, it's quite common where they make promises and have no intention of keeping them. Well, one Mexican mayor learned the hard way that if you make a campaign promise there, you better keep it. This Mexican mayor was paraded through the town in women's clothing for failing to keep his promises. And I assume it was a he. When the residents of a municipality in southern Mexico got fed up with their mayor after he failed to keep a campaign promise, they knew what they had to do. Humiliation was the answer. They made him wear a dress and paraded him around the town for days. Earlier this week, a visibly stressed mayor, Javier Jamainez, Uh, from some province, walked around in a long, dark skirt and frilly white blouse with ruffles and flowery embroidery in front of the furious residents in San Andreas, Puerto Rico, while Luis Tan, another uh, official also deemed uh, deficient, was clad in a bright pink dress with white polka dots. And one of the key complaints local news outlets say is that Jimenez uh, has not come through on his campaign promise to allocate three million pesos, equivalent to about one hundred and fifty eight thousand dollars for improvements to the town's water system, among other things, reported the local news. And while the officials walked in women's garb, residents held hand uh, scrawled posters describing what they saw as the politicians failings in an interview with a reporter. Captured on video, the mayor appeared uncomfortable, to say the least, said he's been trying to fulfill his promise. He said there's no money, or at least no more money in the fund because it has been uh, given to various municipalities. As he spoke, some residents held posters denouncing government failures and others uh, could be heard yelling at him not to continue telling lies. So I'm wondering if this might be a useful tactic here in the states where public humiliation and shame is used to uh, point out politicians failing. Oh, that's right. We have the campaign for that. I was going to say, we don't have enough dresses in this country. <laughs> yeah. oh, not for goodness. all of them. Yeah, not for all of them. Residents are demanding an investigation into whether Jimenez stole the three million pesos he says has gone to various communities. In the interview with a local reporter, he said he's innocent, but that he would not resist an investigation. Dressing up politicians who disappoint is a traditional and cathartic way in several towns in the state of Chiapas of dressing them down, quite literally. Often, politicians are taken by force and dressed up for the dressing down. In May, residents of several communities from the municipality of Siltepec 
in Chiapas, hauled the mayor uh, out of his office and tied him to a post in the main square. Residents told reporters that they had enough of unfulfilled campaign promises to improve public infrastructure. They said they were tempted to shave his head as if he were a sheep and exhibiting him on the street if he did not do his job. Not all residents were on board with punishing the mayor with a sort of a satirical dunce cap. While many applauded the move, others said residents should have chosen a more mature way to express their displeasure with political leaders. I guess that mature way is actually the election, but... In the interim, public humiliation seems to suffice. Seems like it's easier to mount than a recall campaign. Yeah. Requires less uh, uh, financing. Well, there's a new phenomenon. Uh, Women are getting uh, jaw shots. These are, you know, injections of one thing or another to look like they're Instagram filtered pictures. So you have a picture taken. You apply the Instagram filter. You look way better than you do in real life. Everyone compliments you. So you go to a plastic surgeon or a dermatologist and you have injections to make you look more like her. The woman in the picture that's been filtered. Filter to filler. The hot new uh, ask at celebrity dermatologist to Amy Weschler's office. Is that who you see? Is Amy Weschler? No, no, it's, 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 it's uh, Diane Weschler, her sister. Ah, She's not as I good. See. And I see Tom Weschler, her younger brother. There you anyway, go. We're, we're um, all about the Weschlers around here. Amy Weschler's office is jawline contouring with filler so people can mimic the Kim Kardashian-esque look of Instagram and Snapchat filters in real life. So it's uh, not art imitating life. It's life imitating art. I'm doing 20 a week now, says Laura Dyer, a board-certified PA and injection specialist at Welsher's Upper East Side Space, telling The Post. Last year, I was doing around four to seven jawlines a week total. Social media filters give you that strong, beautiful jawline, and people want their pictures to match their real face. I think it's actually the other way around. They want their real face to match their altered pictures. Jawline fillers can give the face a more symmetrical look by adding definition back to the areas that have experienced age-related bone loss and put the volume back to where it used to be, says Dyer, who's a favorite of uh, influencers, including E's Zana Roberts Rossi, no idea, makeup by Mario, Mario Dedevinachovic something, no idea. The needles are filled with um, hyaluronic acid. That doesn't sound good. An FDA-approved dermal filler. It combines with water and swells into a gel, causing a smooth and filling effect. Oh, it's FDA-approved, so it can't be that bad. Yeah. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Nothing. Picture a wedding tent with its tent poles on the ground, and when it's raised, the entire tent lifts, Dyer says. Uh, that's essentially what we're doing with filler. It plumps and balances the area that need it. Do you know what happens with when you lift a tent and the wind comes along? The same. <laughs> yeah. Bruising and swelling are common, not necessarily looks you're going for, but temporary, and you can hide it with your hair. Well, it depends on where it's swelling and whether or not you have long hair. But nonetheless, the procedure's popularity is a little surprising, given that many former filler fans, like that alliteration, have been scrambling to deflate their overpuffed faces as uh, of late. But patient Janelle Alfonso, a 27-year-old, 27 already getting fillers, uh, says this is the way, uh, a way subtler way than most plump ups. You know what? You know what I was reading though. One of the one of the things that they're using in the in these surgeries to to fill as well, besides the FDA approved thing, oddly enough, the new Butterfinger. <laughs> 
It is smoother. It's smoother. So before the um, uh, the gospel sing live, are you planning to get some work done? Uh, you know, actually, there is one piece of work I'm getting done. It's a tr- very traditional uh, uh, look. It's called a haircut. <laughs> and Clark, I think he's probably going to get some work done before the uh, gospel sing stage announcement. You're going to have some work done, some fillers and that sort of thing. No time. Yeah, he'll have to wait till afterwards. He's too busy fighting off the paparazzi. I can't even imagine having something like this done and risking the possibility that it, you know, it's just a little bit too much to the right. I mean, you've seen some celebrity faces. Some of them look great. I mean, they just look like, wow, you look great. But many look like something's just a little off. It's not quite natural. When I was a kid and you know, you, inevitably, kids make funny faces at each other, and you know the, the old the old uh, myth that if you slap somebody on the back when they're making a funny face, that your your face freezes that way. Uh huh. That's what half of Hollywood looks like now. That somebody whacked them on the back when they were making a funny face, and they just went with it. Just kind of stayed that way. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll cancel my appointment. Yeah. Sorry, Diane Weschler. I'm, I'm I'm giving up the Weschlers. Yeah. Me too. Younger brother. Out of business. Well, there's a new fabric uh, that's going to be released on the market at some point. Scientists have created this fabric that smells better the more you sweat. Now, think about that for a moment. It smells better. Your gross workout gear could double as an air freshener. Eliminate sweat, stink, locked in your gym clothes. This is what's coming. It isn't a surefire way to... Make your sweaty gym clothes smell like roses, but a new fabric might be able to give off a pleasant lemony aroma at the very least. Processes already exist to embed fabric with scents like those from aromatherapy essential oils, but now researchers have combined the idea with concepts taken from advanced smart fabrics. And so this uh, new fabric will actually smell better the more you perspire. I mean, in my case, I would only be glowing, but... It's the same general principle. You know, it's one of those things where, um, having been married now for a couple of years... Um, not to me, but to not, your not wife. To, to my wife, correct. Uh, you know, you eventually discover certain things about body odor and, 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 and how that works in a relationship. And you know how they have that, uh, the deodorant the secret, mm-hmm. which the slogan is, uh, strong enough for a man, but made for a woman. Yes. I, I proposed revising that slogan to, uh, strong enough for a man, uh, made for a woman, Married long enough to not care either way. <laughs> I've been married 37 years and I have not reached that point. Just saying. Well, you know. Yeah. The question is, has Dan? <laughs> no, he has not. Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we come back, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we will wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Taking a quick look at some of our guest list for next week on the program. On Monday, we're going to talk with Emily Hibbard. The Honor Project is the title of this project that reaches out to fathers who are parenting honorably. And so... I'm looking forward to uh, talking with her about that. And in fact, there's a video that covers this whole thing. We'll tell you more about that on Monday. On Tuesday, we're looking forward to a conversation with Alex Kendrick. Yes, that Alex Kendrick, the brother to the other 
Kendrick. Uh, their movie is coming out shortly, Overcomer, the movie. I've seen the trailer online. You might want to check that out as well. But we're going to have an opportunity to talk with him about that. They've also published a series of books, and maybe we'll have a few moments to uh, touch on that. Mark Moore will also be my guest on um, on Tuesday. Core 52, a 15-minute daily guide to build your Bible IQ in a year. If you want to be able to navigate with a better understanding, you might want to listen in. That's on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Chris Bruna will be my guest. Paul versus James, what we've been missing in the faith and works debate. So looking forward to uh, perhaps not solving the the, um, uh, the debate altogether, but to giving some great resource to think it through. On Thursday, Stephen Kello uh, will be my guest. Dr. Kello is the author of Walk with Jesus on Campus, How to Care for Your Soul During College. That can be something of a challenge. We'll take that challenge up on Thursday. Uh, the book is published by Moody, by the way. And then on Friday, we're looking forward to, oh, I don't know, lightening things up. And maybe a really bad Butterfinger. Yeah, I'm still torn as to whether or not I want to go there, but we'll talk. You <laughs> and I will talk. We'll talk. Yeah. No big deal. This is really distressing to me, which explains why if I'm going to eat something, I'm going to pick it up myself. A shocking number of delivery drivers admit doing this to your food. You can fill in the blank. Eating it, otherwise making it less appetizing than it might otherwise have been. In a relatively short period, digital delivery has become the predominant mode of service. The average person um, oscillates between two food delivery apps You probably can figure out what they are. But part of the problem is uh, those who are actually making the delivery aren't necessarily respectful of the food they're delivering or the person that's paying them to do so. I know you do a lot of uh, have a lot of food delivered to your home. Does this concern you at all? It it it. You know, it doesn't just because I I keep an eye on what I order and how it's I'll only order certain types of food. Um, I certainly would be able to tell if it's been eaten um, or otherwise tampered with. But um, I, I have had a, a singular incident of weirdness where uh, um, while tracking the driver with my order, um, he got within about or she um, got within uh, about a block of my house. And suddenly, mysteriously, the order got canceled and I was refunded. Um, and I'm, so I'm still be- of the ilk that um, the driver decided that what I had smelled really yummy and Canceled the order so and went actually, off on a lunch break. They took, they got the food, but it was never delivered to you. And they got they they got the food, drove it two miles, and then within a block of my um, house, decided that they probably wanted to eat it. As what my guess is, certainly. I mean, there's certainly other options, but it didn't even appear that they made an effort to find the house, which is not that difficult to find. Yeah, that's uh, that's surprising. Of course, we're hearing stories of people. But I'd, I'd rather he took the whole thing or she took the whole yeah, thing and then, then bring it, it by part, partially. Yeah. But I've heard of stories where they drink the drink, you know, drink part of the drink. I, we'll don't, I don't order drinks partially unless they're bottled. I won't order a drink that way. And then depending on what you get, they can eat some of what you've ordered. If there are fries, eating some of the fries. It's just so disrespectful. Yeah, it's, you know, when you're not beholden to the restaurant that uh, that has made the food, I think that there's certainly a, uh, um, you know, you don't know how to complain. You don't know how to, you know, I've had a couple times where the soda hasn't shown up when I've ordered it, and I just let the company know, and I usually get a refund for yeah. the, the soda. But, uh, you know, I suppose it's possible in some cases the driver has uh, absconded with it, but 
as long as I'm not paying for it, it doesn't tremendously bother me. I suppose there's always the possibility that something might have gone wrong deliberately or inadvertently with food that someone else prepares for you that you're not watching. But that's just uh, disappointing to me. So I don't I don't have my food delivered. Um, I do it the hard way. Mostly I just make my own. I'm a different generation, perhaps. But well, it's it's you know it's one of those things for me that uh, as far as the delivery goes, uh, I certainly prefer going to a restaurant if I'm going to have restaurant food. It's fresher, it's hotter, it's brought right to you. There's certainly less risk of tampering. Uh, but uh, when you have a four year old that doesn't like uh, behaving in restaurants, uh, <laughs> yeah. it kind of changes the yeah. the attitude a little bit. Do you tip the delivery person? I do, uh, and um, I you know I certainly am aware of certain controversies with a particular provider of delivery food uh, and uh, how they handle tips. But yeah. I do, I do tip, and um, the impact you know with that particular one. As soon as I became aware of that, I made sure that there was little uh, yeah. little cash at the door for them. And then there's this: a theft ring in Washington State sold millions of dollars worth of stolen goods on Amazon.com in the past six years. And a pair of uh, contract Amazon delivery drivers were involved. Recently unsealed federal court documents show, according to a search warrant affidavit unsealed in U.S. District Court in Seattle and reviewed by the Associated Press, two storefront businesses posing as pawn shops, they bought the goods from shoplifters, then had the items shipped to Amazon warehouses where they were stored until sold online. Oh, dear. Entities associated with the alleged ringleader did at least $10 million in sales on Amazon since 2013, according to FBI, uh, in the affidavit. No charges have been filed yet. Investigators have raided the pawn shops in the home of the man identified as the ringleader, a 44-year-old of Auburn, uh, Washington. A man who answered the door at uh, one of the shops identified himself as Alex and told the Associated Press his business was legitimate, that he kept good records, and he should not uh, be in any trouble. However, the FBI may have other ideas. So, you know, nothing new under the sun. People are uh, who are disreputable find ways to um, ply their trade, whatever they happen to be involved in. Doesn't matter the millennia it, yeah. or the technique. It's it's always something. It's always the same. One Ohio man allegedly um, uh, offered a demand letter in attempting to rob a bank. However, the note had his full name and address on it. Whoops. Um, tip for aspiring bank robbers. Don't use your real name on the slip of paper you're using to demand other people's money. Michael Harrell, 54, allegedly tried ordering a teller to hand over the cash from a U.S. bank location in Cleveland around 11 a.m. earlier this week. He accused uh, he's rather being accused of passing a note to the teller. But the note was written on the back of a document from the Ohio Bureau of Motor Vehicles, complete with the alleged crook's full name and street address. When the teller took the note and looked at it and looked at the other side, she saw his name. He had used a note that uh, he had used earlier at a BMW, uh, and uh, it had his name on it. Uh, the teller referred to um, Harold by his name and gave him an unknown amount of money before calling 911. Investigators reportedly confirmed his identity on security cameras and issued a warrant for his arrest. Womp, 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 womp. <laughs> My goodness. And finally, historic Tad's Chicken and Dumpling is up for sale. Did you know it started out as a smoked, smelt food cart? Well, you probably didn't. Anyway, the Troutdale Fixture, one of Portland area's oldest and most historic restaurants, is up for sale. $2.5 million, by the way. It's on the historic Columbia River Highway along the Sandy River. It's known by customers for 
its sunset views, large portions of home-styled cooking, most notably its chicken and dumplings, as the name would suggest. It was $1.75 for a full dinner, said Sharon Nesbitt, back in the 30s, looking over an old Tad's menu at the Troutdale Historical Society. Nesbitt is the historian there and a longtime Tad's customer, but apparently it will soon be no more, unless, of course, the new buyers decide to um, continue with Tad's Chicken and Dumplings. It's prime location, prime, prime real estate, so it'll be interesting, interesting, rather, to see what ends up there, but Tad's will, at some point, be no more. Thanks for serving us well for all these years. Well, we are uh, out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing and co-hosting today's program, Clark Hilton for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.